a new figure is noticed in the room at the party. And it's basically someone who's taken the... In a place where, you know, anything goes, almost. Someone... There's always one, isn't there? Someone's gone too far. I just had this wonderful image of if they did the party scene properly, you know, everybody's kind of, like, getting down and debauched and, you know, who knows who's where and what elemental spirits might be stalking amongst us, ready to take our living bones in the midst of our debauchery. And then she's just wandering around with a little plate of biscuits going, uh, digestive. Greetings, traveller. <laughs> sorry, Hello. sorry, no, serious, spooky, spooky, woo. Yeah. Welcome to Shark Liver Oil's spooky Halloween edition. It's time for a, one of these ones that we call a shark cage. It's this little self-contained uh, book guides. I mean, I sometimes call these page by page. There aren't many pages in this book we're doing today. It's called, it's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe called The Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> the man with the laughter you're hearing is Dave. Hello. We've changed the intro slightly there, haven't we? I'm we have Matt. A bit. What are you, you going to do now? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I just I was overwhelmed by this this feeling of if we're going to do this Halloween preposterousness that mm. I needed to enter into it with a really evil giggle. I liked it. I liked. Oh, it. Okay, excellent! I'll fan of that. And I'm sure many others did too. Now, the reason we're doing this, obviously, Mask of Red Death, is Halloween. Spooky special. Last time we did The Mist by Stephen King. It's normally a short, scary story we do for Halloween as a special. Mm. Um, there's a bit of a misnomer last time because, I mean, <laughs> The Mist is pretty much a novel. It's, a, it's just a novella, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It was longer than um, The Old Man and the Sea, which is yeah the original and classic. But the, the Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe, this is a short story, um, so okay. it won't take as long to get through, but we've got some other bits and pieces about it to discuss. Um, so you should get enough, you know, you should get value for money. You're not paying for this anyway, so you, know, you get <laughs> Yeah, you not get. a phrase we really want to dance around here, is it? If we're giving <laughs> this away for free. You will definitely, definitely get something which is worth precisely the same amount as what you paid for it. Definitely. So, um... Okay, the mask of Edgar Allan Poe. This is something you suggested, Dave. Um, a mm. bit of a uh, when we were discussing which ones to go for. Why did you go for a, an Edgar Allan Poe? Well, because Poe's supposed to be this sort of you know great pioneer in kind of spooky or horror literature, and um, and to be honest with you, like horror's not really my genre. So. Um, so I, I kind of like if we were going to read like a book or a short story or something, which is just ghosts are going to come and stab you in the face. I'm like, I don't fucking care, which is the conversation that you and I have had many times offline about um, about Stephen King, isn't it? Where yeah. I'm like, oh, this is scary, it's pointless, oh, nonsense. And you're like, no, you don't understand the depth of the characterization. <laughs> um, and and. While I've discovered that to be true, I still am not that much of a horror kind of aficionado. Um, also, so I thought Poe was a little bit kind of get back to the roots, do you know what I mean? Get back to yeah. what everybody else is trying to copy. Also, it's a classic, and I have read almost none of the classics. So <laughs> sort of, I'm doing my education on uh, on shark liver oil time and trying to get back into the into the roots. 
but uh, well, but this isn't a, this isn't a one way conversation. Like, wh- why? What particularly drew you to Poe? Like, why did you think this was a good idea? Because you could well within your rights have been like, no, spooky Stephen King shit, absolutely <laughs> shit running down the walls doing that. <laughs> no, I agree. Edgar Allan Poe is a is a bit of a the classic horror writer, isn't he? Sort yeah. of nineteenth century gothic horror. Um, he's probably best known for the is a poem rather than a story, The Raven. Yeah, um, you know, I was going to say, like, if we'd have if if we'd have had a little bit more, um, perhaps a, a little bit more flow, we could have got into that. Can you imagine doing a sort of Charlotte Liver Royal rendition of that? Oh. You could you could be the Raven. I could be the fellow that goes mad. Yeah, that is yeah. a scary thought, isn't it? Just trying to do poetry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really easy, mate. It's all regular, you know, meter and rhyme, and it's fine. Just yeah. crack it. Get drunk and crack it out. That's how yeah. poetry works. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason we've gone for the Mask of the Red Death, it, it, in terms of which specific story, this is. Um, I mean, it sort of kind of fat, fitted because it's a big part, sort of fancy dress party, which everyone does at Halloween. Um, so it feels oh, like you see, Halloween. The, the value added you put into this, Matt. I was just like, oh, it's proper freaky, scary shit. And you're like, yeah, it's interesting. It will work for the following subtextual reasons also. Yeah. Well,. So, so this is about a um, yeah, it's a, it's a massive, basically a massive party that this prince throws in the middle of uh, <laughs> in the middle of a time where his country is being completely ravaged by this plague called the Red Death. Um, so this is where the the story begins. Um, mm. We we hear about well, you know this this plague called the Red Death. It sounds. A truly horrifying disease. Um, oh, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah. I, I it, mean, it's a setup for a horror movie all by itself. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like you're living in a country where there's this outbreak of outbreak of this disease where you can be fine, and then you mm-hmm. get sort of red spots on your face, and mm-hmm. then you start bleeding out of every pore, and within half an hour you're dead. Yeah. Like that. Fucking hell. There's a there's there's horror. There's whole movies just in that setup alone. Never yeah. mind where you get to the bit where the people responsible for running the country have gone, nah, fuck it, let's go and have a party <laughs> for like half a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, this, I mean, it's got sort of echoes of, of other like, real life diseases, this hasn't it? So you, you've got yeah. the sort of, uh, there's, there's a bit of consumption in there with the sort of bloody... Yeah sort of way you can die and also the speed uh, and transmission is is a bit reminiscent to the Black Death where you know you could be fine it's, it's obviously a lot quicker yeah. this but with the Black Death you could be fine in the morning and dead in the evening um, yeah not quite a half hour kill rate but that's that's not bad is it <laughs> yeah the Black a, Death needs to up its fucking game <laughs> <laughs> in a different era this would have been the story of a face off between the Black Death which takes 12 hours to get you and the Red Death going 12 hours motherfucker <laughs> Let's face off. Scythe to scythe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Celebrity death match between death. Moving <laughs> on. Yeah, so as we mentioned, we um uh, the main character, I suppose, if you, if there is one in this, is a guy called Prince Prospero. And he decides, you know what? That it can take care of itself, this plague thing. We'll just wait we'll wait it out. Um and he decides to shut himself and one thousand of his most light hearted friends. Um, away in this <laughs> castle. <laughs> now, now his most light-hearted friends in this context is to say his craziest and least, like most psychopathic friends, most like <laughs> socially unhinged friends, isn't it? 
who is light-hearted if they're living in the middle of something that makes Ebola look like the snuffles? Do you know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah, well, suppose if you're going to, you know, keep yourself locked away, um, trying to forget the, the horrors that are being inflicted upon your people outside... You don't want anyone bringing a downer on things. You want the, you know, the most fun people. <laughs> only, only the biggest party animals are welcome. What would the invitations <laughs> look like to this thing, as much as anything else? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What yeah. like, kind of scared of the Red Death, incredibly privileged and wealthy, one of my mates, very <laughs> unlikely ever to frown, come down, party. <laughs> <laughs> don't bother. We don't. Don't bother bringing your own decorations. We've got all the freaky stained glass you could hope for in here. <laughs> yeah. I, do you reckon if anyone sort of was caught saying, "I wonder what's happening to people outside," you'd be like, "Get out." We're not, we're not talking now. about that. No, no, they wouldn't though, would they? Because that would involve re- unsealing this weird sealed castle environment. Yeah. So yeah. what they'd actually do is they'd eat them or something, wouldn't they? Yeah, so, so as you say, they're, uh, they're locked up tight in here. Nobody in, nobody out. And uh, they amply provided loads of provisions. Uh, they have a lot of sort of entertainment as well. They've got buffoons, uh, other general <laughs> entertainers. Uh, what, from bobbiesbuffoons.com? <laughs> Where do you go to hire a buffoon? They've got uh, ballet dancers. They've got musicians. They've got beauty. And they've got... <laughs> Beauty for hire. I love that. As we'll we'll get beauty in definitely. Where can we get some beauty? Oh, it's yeah. on call now. You get beauty delivered to your door. No problem. Yeah, I reckon beauty is the sort of medieval equivalent of strippers, or if they don't have <laughs> much money, palm. <laughs> I was going to say, if mail order beauty is available. Truth still very elusive. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a heck of a lot of wine, um, which you probably need. Yeah, um, yeah, right, and. And the wine, I kind of get. It's like sort of, you know, high-class party, you know, like wine, you know, is quite well... It preserves itself. If you've got enough wine, you can keep going forever. But they're, like, well-provisioned, and presumably nobody's allowed in or out to, like, go and harvest food or, like, slaughter cattle or something. Yeah. I realise Edgar Allan Poe wasn't really asking anybody to get into the, you know, the broader economic implications of something like this, but <laughs> fuck it. It's who I am. Right. Oh. Like, are they living off pickles now? They're six months in. Like, they might have started off with, like, massive roast aurochs and, you know, bacon on toast and, and just, you know, and, and everything. Bacon on toast is the most um, the most, <laughs> most expensive food I can think of, apparently, at the moment. <laughs> bacon on toast. Opulence. <laughs> um, but what, what are they eating now? Is it, are they down to spam? Is it, or is, yeah. did somebody sneak out and go looking for, you know, for the, the last undiseased cow in uh, in the principality of wherever it is? <laughs> maybe they, m- maybe they uh, have a, an awful lot of canned food and they're way ahead of the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're survivalists, basically, aren't they? Yeah. They're just the most bohemian survivalists you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Yeah, I can stay down here for months, but look at the ruffs on my <laughs> sleeves. When, when the Red Death arrived, everyone else was like, obviously reacting with horror. 
and Prospero was loving it. He's like, finally, I can use this survivalist castle that I've spent <laughs> decades making. <laughs> I've got that much food. I'm, I can invite about a thousand people to this thing now. <laughs> now all I need to do is find a thousand pathologically disengaged wealthy people living in my country. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing is, yeah, as you mentioned, we then fast forward, it's six months in, and things are still going, things aren't just going well in there, uh, um, within the sort of castle, things are going so well that Prospero thinks it's time to hold a massive party, probably again, I wouldn't imagine this is the first one they've held, Um, and it's going to be a masquerade ball, so everyone wears sort of costumes and masks and stuff. Mm. Now, we get into the description of sort of how this event is set up now and how the rooms are set up Mm. and there are basically seven rooms all of different colours all set at weird angles to each other Um, and each room has a massive stained glass window normally of the same colour to the room so like if you've got a a blue room there's a blue window and there's sort of a massive like fire on the other side which lights the room through the glass Mm. Um, apart from Chamber 7 which is all done in black uh, with a blood red window uh, and it's such a sort of creepy effect that no one actually wants to go in that room so it's empty and all the others are really full <laughs> <laughs> now I wonder how insecure Prospero was about that because if you've, if you've gone out on a limb and made a sort of avant-garde home decoration choice for a party and you know you've really gone all out you've themed it up and then everybody's avoiding one of the rooms do you imagine he was sort of running around going guys come on look in the black room look put a lot of money into it velvet on the walls and everything come on have a do you not want to are you not going to come and have a but what but what i mean it's great come on come on let's go and have a little dance little dance in the dark eh? dancing in the dark get your goth on no no anyone please no, I think he was quite pleased that no one was going in because I, I think he wanted like six rooms where everybody was loving it and then because he's, he's a bit crazy and he likes to sort of affect people in various ways he thinks he wants one room so badass that <laughs> nobody <laughs> dares set foot in it and it's just another thing to have a curious thing to have at his party Yeah, well either that or he, he wanted to have a place where he was definitely sure he could kind of adjourn if things yeah. got to a certain level with a certain somebody he was after at the party. Is that the whole thing? Is that like, this is this is just like an incredibly overprivileged pickup scenario that goes horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong. She's been in the castle with me for six months and I, I, I don't know what to do. Obviously I can't talk to her because I'm a cock and I can't treat her with respect because, come on, I'm a prince. So I know what I'll do, right, is I'll make a party where there's one room nobody goes and I will invite her. <laughs> Is that the yeah. is that the scenario? Yeah. Is I there mean, no end to his I, assholeness? I do see a drawback there. If it's if it's such a dreadful room that no one wants to go in it, um, I'm not sure how he you know <laughs> he gets her to go in it. <laughs> how it's how it's a part of his overall genius master plan. <laughs> I tell you what, the length some rich men will go to to avoid <laughs> talking with respect to a woman. Uh, there is a, a presence in uh, in the room, though, in the in the black room, which is this giant sort of clock, mm. which uh, on the hour sort of strikes, and it's sort of the sound that it makes pretty much 
stops the party every time it strikes the hour and everyone sort of stops and goes whoa that's a fucking freaky clock and then, yeah. and then once it stops bonging they're all sort of laugh a bit and like oh, that, you know how sort of weird they are for, or stupid they are for just being so affected by it but every time the hour comes round it, it happens again <laughs> could have been worse couldn't it could have been one of those clocks that chimes on the quarter of an hour yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three quarters of an hour into the party, and it'd be like, I'm sorry, but I don't care how bad it is outside. I am leaving. This is odd. This is weird. Can't string three sentences together without that flipping clock giving me an eldritch sense of existential dread. Fuck it. I'm off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think about the general setup of the rooms and stuff? I thought it was really imaginative, this, and really yeah, interesting yeah. And, and quite, you know, unsettling. Very much. A great setup. Isn't it amazing, by the way, that we, like, you know, we're sort of quarter of the way into this story and actually there's no dialogue at all. Hmm. Um, there's no kind of characterization almost. There's just Prince Prospero is clearly a knobhead um, and he's built this extraordinary castle. I'll tell you what else it reminded me of, actually, is um, how's, how's this for a breadth of cultural references, right? I've made clear I'm an expert <laughs> in neither of these areas, but. Have you ever played the video game Dishonored or uh, read the book uh, In the Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco? Okay, uh, that is quite a cultural breadth, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm afraid I've done neither. <laughs> well, you should, because Dishonored has a sequence in it, like a, a, a mission set up. You're this sort of secret assassin type. But yeah. you have to go and kill somebody in the middle of a party just like this, oh. like with all these different rooms linked together. It's great. Um, so I was thinking of that as I was reading. It actually made me want to go back and play the game. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is, the name of, in the name of the rose um, is a, is a story set in a monastery in about you know this sort of vaguely medieval period, um, where there's this really weird library that's designed in this designed basically to be a labyrinth where you can get lost and there's secret doorways and bookshelves that move and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really reminded me of that. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few. Um like this is one of those stories. This isn't it. Like a, quite a few of Poe's, which have a real resonance with a lot of sort of popular culture uh, these days. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those really influential stories. Um, yeah, because it's so dense with ideas, isn't it? I mean, he's three sentences in, and he's already given a setup which you could use for any horror movie you care to name, and that's just talking about how the how the illness looks. Yeah, doesn't yeah. waste a single word. Great stuff. So, um, despite the fact that this clock's going off and, and every so often making people stop and shudder, um, it is a cracking party, it looks like. It's got these crazy decorations up. As I said, everyone's in weird costumes. This is described quite well. It says uh, that uh, there were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. So um, And buffoons. Yeah. Off the hook is another way you could describe it. <laughs> I tell you what, we've fallen from these times of composition, haven't we? Back then, it's this long list of flowery descriptive words. Nowadays, it would be like, bro, it was sick. It was off the hook. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, at midnight, obviously, the, uh, the clock begins to strike again and everybody stops. And this is obviously for the longest time because you've got the 12 bongs. And during this, a new figure is noticed in the room at the party. And mm. it's basically someone who's taken the... Co- in a place where, you know, anything goes, almost. Someone... There's always one, isn't there? Someone's gone too far. 
You know, you, there's always, you know, every ine- inevitably at these fancy dress parties, someone's always in a costume where everyone goes, ooh. So that this figure that draped in sort of robes of the grave or like grave apparel, um, it's a corpse-like face with bloody features. Basically, it's a someone's come as a victim of the Red Death. <laughs> <laughs> And Prospero, Prospero, unsurprisingly, is furious. <laughs> it's, it's, this isn't so much too soon as it is. It's before. There's no time has passed at all. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Whatever the like, whatever the negative number version of too soon is, is this is exactly what it is. Oh, hilarious! Because they're dying, so you look like you're dying from this horrifying thing that we're hiding from. <laughs> Now, the story doesn't go this way, but um, it would have been quite funny if this turned out to be one of his, one of the people there just really trying to impress, sort of reading Prospero wrong, thinking, look, he's the kind of guy who has, like, this weird <laughs> black room. I'll tell you what, he'll get a massive kick out of. I'm going to dress as the actual Red Death. And then wait, he, he just takes one look at Prospero's face and realises that he's about to lose his head. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it would be great if it was that, wouldn't it? If he just like sort of a real suck up a toady, sort of chances his hand and it goes more catastrophically wrong than he could possibly ever have expected. I just want to hear him do that, Job. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, in the it's almost it's so close to being that kind of voice of death thing that you were doing when we did more, wasn't it? It's like I've yeah. made a huge mistake. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that isn't the direction this goes in, though. So Prospero is fu- is furious when he sees this because obviously nothing puts a dampener on a uh, massive swinging party in the middle of the Red Death and someone turning up as the Red Death. So he demands that people arrest this guy, um, rip his mask off to reveal who it is, and then they'll hang him in the morning. Um, so, that, you know, the moral wow, of that story that. is don't take it too far at these fancy dress <laughs> I mean, that, that really escalated quickly, didn't it? Mm. It's like a slightly controversial choice um, <laughs> of costume turns into I'm going to be killed by everybody around me. Yeah. Now, the th- funny thing is, um, even, be- even though that sort of order is issued from the king, everyone's too afraid to touch this figure. And it starts walking sort of through the rooms that actually goes right past Prospero as well who who is equally sort of when yeah. it comes down to it too afraid to approach him yeah I, I, this little sequence just that little thing there I actually thought was one of the most powerful things in the entire story how mm. like this thing turns up and is incredibly like is frightening and frightening in a way which people are angry about and you would think you know there'd be the laying on of hands and the ripping apart of whatever you know and it would turn to violence but there's just something fundamental about the presence of this thing which means that Mm. it just it walks through and nobody can bring themselves to do anything a really really powerful example of how like the absence of action can tell you something really scary like just scared the crap out of me it really did yeah and uh, so, so it walks through these various rooms towards the black room and as it just gets to the edge of, uh, of of that room, Prospero sort of comes to his senses, I suppose, and goes after 
goes after yeah. this figure with a dagger. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he gets close, the figure turns around. It, it just described as confronts Prospero. So I, I, I assume he doesn't even do anything. He just looks at him. Yeah. And suddenly Prospero drops the dagger and, and dies and with sort of a shout. Yeah. Um, and this actually breaks the sort of breaks the hold on everybody else and they yeah. in sort of this mixture of despair and anger um, try to attack the figure and yeah. this is where they they try and sort of grab the costume and rip it off yeah. and they realise there's sort of almost nothing there's no there's no one in it basically yeah. um, the costume's untenanted by any tangible form um, <sighs> And then this is when everyone realizes that this is sort of the Red Death incarnate, I suppose. And yeah. everybody catches it and dies, and the clock stops, and the torches go out. And then the final line goes, and darkness and decay, and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. <laughs> I tell you what, it brings it down to a fairly considerable ending point, is it? There's no, there's no kind of, there's no coda to that. No. There's just what's the perfect last sentence of this story? Oh yeah, everybody was fucked. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that. Um, what I loved about this story is is the pacing of it. How it goes from like um, it feels strange and uncomfortable all the way through, but it just it has sort of like that exponential growth in pace as a. It yeah. gets just gets faster and faster and faster and faster, and when things start happening, suddenly it just it it, it goes from sort of normal, well, not normal-ish, <laughs> to when it starts, <laughs> as, soon, as soon as this this figure shows up, it just things go south within about two paragraphs. I think it's just you know yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really really well paced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very powerful thing. Mm. What did you think overall of it? Um, great, didn't disappoint at all, and and that's quite a trick for saying that because because Poe's so popular, and I think in a lot of places, certainly in the states, I, people do it a lot in high school. So it's really kind of one of those things that if you are half awake between the ages of eleven and eighteen in a high school English class, you're likely to have come across Poe somehow, and that's why it's so adapted in you know American media. The Simpsons have done it, and mm. uh, and, and all of this. Um, so there's a lot of expectation that comes with it, but I think it's compositionally it's flawless. Mm. Every word is in place to kind of chill you and freak you out. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. um, I agree, and I haven't really read much of uh, Edgar Allan Poe before, so really enjoy yeah. it, and I'll probably yeah. seek myself out a collection of his short stories now. Yeah, definitely. I, I think this isn't it, isn't it nice that we can pool our our respective ignorance on the classics and actually. You do it for a podcast. Like, <laughs> Dave, it's a great story for it. That's the Shark the Royal Way. Hey, all <laughs> ignorance and blackguardry. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, you, you mentioned a few um, sort of examples of TV which have, uh, and uh, computer games which have uh, taken on Mask of the Red Death uh, as some, some of its inspiration. I've got a few other examples here. There were actually two films made of it. Uh, most recent one in the 1980s, would you believe? Oh. Um, I couldn't yeah. find the 80s one. I found a bit of the 60s one, and it's sort of one of those. It's one of those films that, you know, when films were pretty much just sort of recorded versions of plays. 
it feels like a it feels like a, a play which they've just filmed <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> I, I tell you what I liked actually I went and looked up that version as well and it's got Vincent Price in it whose entire career was looking really scary yeah. uh, so you know so you know it's going to shit you up a bit um, but, but the female lead rather brilliantly was Jane Asher do you remember Jane Asher? Jane Asher Jane Asher is an actress who became famous for dating Paul McCartney when he was in the Beatles um, but who, who went on to have a, a long and successful career advertising McVitie's biscuits in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this wonderful image of if they did the party scene properly, you know, everybody's kind of like getting down and debauched and, you know, who knows who's where and what elemental spirits might be stalking amongst us ready to take our living bones in the midst of our, our debauchery. <laughs> and then she's just wandering around with a little plate of biscuits going, uh, digestive? <laughs> a little a cereal bar, anybody? Good for you. Good for reduces, you know. No, no. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that would have been a just a sort of little little light hearted touch. Or I suppose in the same way that like the Bond films, for example, now are just full of product placement. That could have been. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been incredible. Like just sort of like the 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 Red Death himself walks into the room. And there's this, everybody's like, <gasps> and you get loads of close-ups on every face. And when you cut to her face, she's just got like a, a McVitie's biscuit bar, just like half unwrapped. And, <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> gosh, my heavens. I haven't even got time to finish this otherwise delicious and healthy snack. <laughs> or they could have written the McVitie's biscuits into it. So like the Red Death <laughs> oh, appears man. and they go, quick, eat some McVitie's biscuits they're on their way to survive but suddenly they're, they're on the other side of the glass and they can't get to the McVitie's biscuit <laughs> <laughs> I think I think horrifyingly Matt you might have a future in that business <laughs> in shoehorning products shoehorning into product, product that's the best credit I can imagine seeing on a film product, product shoehorning shoe <laughs> yeah um, okay well yeah that's um you could always seek one of those films out then if you want a bit more um, Red Death for your money um, mm. a few other examples of where the uh, the story is sort of either gets a nod or is sort of used as inspiration for parts of uh, of tales uh, <laughs> rather strangely The Phantom of the Opera Jember, have you ever seen The Phantom of the Opera the musical? I, I have never seen The Phantom of the Opera well there's a never there's a have. song there's a song called Masquerade. It's out of Masquerade Ball. Masquerade. Mm. Da, 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 da. And, um, no, 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 no. You don't get to do just one bar. If you're going to crack into the song, Matt, I want, <laughs> I want show tunes. I want jazz. No, I, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not, not even <sighs> sure how it goes after that. But um, <laughs> well, it just it, one of the characters at that party is dressed as a Red Death, apparently. Um, for a joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lol. <laughs> because the last person who did it, it went down so well. Um, then uh, oh in the Stephen King's book The Shining uh, you know that one it takes a lot of uh, there's, there's sort of a, a I suppose a, a passage in that part of it's basically if you haven't read it I'm not going to give any spoilers away but it's a story about a spooky hotel um, and part of it there's this sort of ghostly party that happens in the uh, in the dining room and the dining room's got this big grandfather clock and obviously when the clock strikes sort of all the ghostly apparitions stop and like listen to it and then carry on as if nothing's happened and obviously that's a, 
a big influence and he does directly quote this Red Death held sway over all a few times as well so it's obviously a, a keen influence on on a part of that book which is in itself has become a, a bit of a modern classic now The Shining yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny because obviously I, I read that before I read this before I read the actual the Poe uh, Mask, Mask of the Red Death and yeah it's um, it doesn't matter whether it's set in that modern uh, time or this sort of this classic medieval time. That idea of sort of a party going on and suddenly everyone stops when this clock strikes and then carries on. Mm. It's always really unsettling. I remember finding it really unsettling when I read the The Shining yeah. as well, especially yeah. when they're all ghosts. <laughs> yeah, well, just very, I was going to say ghosts doing anything is a little bit like. Um, but I, I think actually that scene makes it really effective um, as like a because you've got a room full of people you sort of you have a set of experiences that tells you you think you know what's going on here and then when they all do something in unison that you're not expecting it tells you first of all that you were wrong that you don't know what's going on and second of all what the hell else might they do that's unpredictable and completely in unison mm. um, incredibly yeah 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 great spooky storytelling yeah um, funnily enough uh, Mask of the Red Death is referenced in a couple of Terry Pratchett books. Mm, uh, yeah, the the one there's one called Masquerade. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which I which I read before I knew anything about like because that that book is a whole riff on the Phantom of the Opera, the mm. whole thing. And I'd never <laughs> read or heard of the Phantom of the Opera, so I read it and I was like, why is why is that supposed to be funny? What well, I don't understand. This is rubbish. Why is this <laughs> supposed to be funny? <laughs> So I was completely lost, and now I need to go back and read it again, having read The Mask of the Red Death and, well, I mean, understanding a little bit more about um, uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I mean, the extent of that is you just heard me sing a line of Masquerade, so... Hey, I'm better <laughs> off now than I was, and if only you'd have bothered to sing more bars of it, I'd be even better <laughs> off, wouldn't I? But <laughs> no. But no. Uh, yeah, yeah, so in Masquerade, uh, Death was the uh, the Red Death costume, apparently. Mm. And apparently, the uh, the light fantastic. There's a reference in that as well, because mm. uh, death is is dragged away from a party there, and he remarks that it's going to go downhill after midnight anyway, and uh, everyone would expect him to take his mask off at that point. <laughs> it's cold, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I, like I've read that, and I was like, oh, that's that's pretty funny. Yeah, masquerade ball, eh? And then they're going to think that you. But now knowing that it's a reference to this, it's like ah, <laughs> yeah. Um. And another one, maybe a little more out of left field. Um, there's a Red Death character in Batman Returns. <laughs> Is there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't brought myself to sort of re-watch Batman Returns since I was so oh, disappointed when I watched time it the first was, time. Time was we would do our research on this podcast, Matt. But I think, we, <laughs> can we introduce the Tim Burton exemption? Where if it's a reference to a Tim Burton film that we've watched once and found tiresome because of all the dark eye makeup, we don't have to go back and watch it again. <laughs> yeah, maybe is I'm Batman... projecting my hatred of Tim Burton films onto you. But... Is Batman Returns the one with George Clooney as Batman? No, no, that's Batman and Robin. Oh, Batman right, no, that, that's is... the one I really don't like. That's... Oh, right, okay. Oh, it's, it's only me. It's only one half of the Shark <laughs> Royal team that really hates Tim Burton movies. Um, no, no, no. Batman Returns is the one with. Um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and is it, or is that the first one? Is that Batman or Batman Returns? 
I don't know. Anyway. It's, anyway. Any road up. Yeah. Anyway, it's also got a character in it called the Red Death, apparently. Mm. Um, moving on to music, Dave. Oh, yeah. yeah you know what's coming. Maybe <laughs> recommend this. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, a band called uh, Thrice did a song called The Red Death. A little bit of it here. Dave, what do you think of that? Well, I I might. I, this is a this is a coveted spot, but there's I I'm in with a good chance of being the biggest thrice fan in the entire universe. So, <laughs> so um, I I love it. I just think it's this most ridiculous slice of of like rock. Um, yeah. And it's and actually it really brings you into the terror of the thing as well. Like it's completely merciless if you go and look at the lyrics. Mm. And they're not usually into this sort of you know like they don't. Some bands do nothing but kind of horror metal. Where it's mm. you know it's all about kind of horrific themes and trying to freak you out, but they yeah. they don't really do it, which makes this one all the more powerful because it's completely relentless. Yeah, um, and I think it actually brings out some of the themes of the story really well. You know, there's a line in it they actually named the album after called "The Illusion of Safety," where mm. like all of these people believe that their wealth is going to save them, mm. and you know, and and it's well said, and it's you know it's a trope from the Black Death onwards. You know that actually this disease kills rich and poor alike. Mm-hmm. Um, Unlike most diseases, which do disproportionately kill uh, people who don't have, you know, the financial resources to look after themselves. So, yeah. um, so I, I really like it. I think it just places that that stuff completely front and center, as well as being the most ridiculous slice of rock we've had on this podcast <laughs> since. Do you remember the Nightmare Circus way back? Oh, in, uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> with the, the Night Circus, that the Nightmare Circus were a, some a band we found on on, uh, on MySpace who did. Um, did this absolutely absurd slice of anyway go and listen to that podcast for two <laughs> things the nightmare circus and our uh, growing frustration and contempt for the book in question i always think the night circus has a special place in our hearts <laughs> because i think we talk about the night circus more than any other podcast that we've done that's true that's well that's true because it was i think it was one of, it was one of the first ones we did where we discovered it was possible to find a character completely tiresome and still really enjoy ripping on it yeah, <laughs> which a situation which we tried to avoid ever since by doing only the classics, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what you say about the sort of um, the allegory around the, this this story, because I think Poe is quite famous for for not liking allegory, but mm. it it just lends itself so so well to that, doesn't it? And a lot of people does, have seen yeah. it as an el- um, either you can either see it either of as you say about uh, wealth trying to use wealth to uh, survive a, a plague um, or a disease or something like that um, other people have seen it just as a, a more general representation of how um, the inevitability of death for everybody regardless mm. of, of wealth or social status um, mm. that you know you can only you can only bar the, bar the gates for so long I suppose um, yeah yeah very much well, and I think those those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Like Poe might have hated allegory, but in writing about something horrific, he invites us to consider our own horrors, right? And yeah. and so and so we do. I mean, that's part of being a reader. You know, we find we find it, we find that the things that people write resonate with us on levels that perhaps that person would never have anticipated. Mm. You know, and, and you know, Poe's thing was tapping into these kind of you know 
quite primal fears and not really trying to intellectualize them too much but you know people yeah. who intellectualize things still have primal fears and that's the raw material with which they intellectualize things so so i think it's both to be honest i think it's you know he might not have written it as an allegory but if you write decent decent literature resonates with people in a way you weren't expecting to anyway yeah yeah i like the general death allegory with the when you take into account the clock how people are sort of you can yeah. have these big parts and do what you want to sort of forget about yeah. sort of the the inevitability of time passing but it, you know it's always yeah. there it always reminds you at the most inopportune moments yeah um, yeah and, I think, and, and it, I think again yeah exactly does it, it speaks to everybody because we know there's a lot of wisdom in it because everybody is always experiencing aging mm. um and it's really you know i this is one of the stories that i, I think you know really makes me reflect on um on the fact that i think you know you have to kind of embrace the fact that time passes instead of having a massive knees up and pretending that things aren't going on outside mm. uh yeah so i think there's a there is depth to it um as well as being you know as totally strung as a guitar mm. it's also this yeah edgar top work mate he's got a future this poe kid <laughs> he's got a future in this business um speaking of guitars so you picked out thrice yeah um there are a number of other bands that have uh sort of <laughs> taken inspiration from this For, are there? I, I, I'll, I'll be honest drawn from a, a, a certain sort of area of music shall we say tend to be sort of a, <laughs> you, you're telling me there's no happy hardcore renditions of the Masked Red Death <laughs> you astonish it, me it tends to be sort of the the heavy heavy metal side uh, or death metal or thrash death, metal or whatever whatever metal. it is <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Like, I mean, let's let's be clear. All of the different myriad subgenres of metal yeah, have their the own take take on the, all the many metals <laughs> <laughs> have their own take on this. Um, yeah. and, and like I say, my my particular uh, yen is for um, uh, is for the thrice kind of uh, post hardcore approach. But um, but yeah. what others do we have? Uh, it's popular with all the metals. Um, a few of the bands I read out a few of the names of some of the bands that have covered them uh, if you're a fan then you're a fan um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know I, don't, I, I, I honestly I know nothing about most of these bands apart from the name so I think it might be good okay alright alright right, cool cool um, Throne of Malediction oh I mean how can you not love a, a, a band called Throne of Malediction M- Manila Road bit bit more bit more it feels a bit more middle of the road. I'm Creech. not certain. <laughs> Creature I mean, feature. Now you're just not trying. What was that? A high school band name? Creature <laughs> feature. Um, Nox Arcana. Hmm. 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 Coming um, from that that honoured subgenre of, uh, of popular culture where nobody's learned Latin, but you want to name it in Latin anyway. <laughs> and uh, my my personal favourite. Yeah. Crimson Glory. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> Which, I, 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 I did actually source some of this. Oh, did you? <laughs> and um, it's it's outstanding hair rock. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a bit of it then. Let's, let's, let's do a bit. What do you reckon? Oh, terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> it's, it, it's outstanding hair rock from the 1980s, and that, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that that is what that is all that it is about, and there will be no more about than that. <laughs> so, um, just a few little um, su- suggestions there of other 
other bands to listen to if you if you want some sort of masquerade of the mask mask of the red death themed music you got throne of malediction you got manila road you got creature feature knocked arcana and my personal favorite and dave's i think crimson glory well 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 now i agree that that is an absolutely superb band name but I, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research myself here and i notice i notice that there was a, a norwegian gothic metal group which covered it <laughs> called theater of tragedy <laughs> <laughs> and I think that might just have topped it for me, to be honest. <laughs> Theatre of Tragedy. Brilliant. Theatre of Tragedy. I tell you what, they, they wouldn't have been invited to uh, Prospero's Knees Up, would they? Yeah, they wouldn't be. You sound like a bit that. dark. Sound a bit dark. <laughs> Keep it light. Keep it light, eh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's, it's time to move on to um, the next part of our... This uh, is before we finish... And this is the review section. I've scoured the internet for the finest reviews <laughs> of uh, Mask of the Red Death. We, I normally like to include quite a few one stars because mm. almost everyone tends to have a one star opinion. Well, you, you'll almost always find an opinion, a one star opinion of any book. But um, quite hard with this one, actually. Um, but hey, I suppose very few people can be bothered to, to stick a review down if they don't like it because it's so short. <laughs> do you suppose that's because people are just scared of Edgar Allan Poe they like be, yeah. I'm not writing anything bad about him on the internet he'll come back and he'll fucking have me yeah. <laughs> could be well so I'll go through a few of them anyway so the five a few five <clears throat> sorry a few five star reviews Christina says without a doubt this is my favourite 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 Edgar Allan Poe short story oh my goodness all the symbolism the creepy feelings the gothic horror Oh my! Oof. Finishes. Well said. Obviously a fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, C. D. Bennett uh, is also a fun. He says uh, another of Poe's works, The Raven, is by far the most familiar to those with only a passing knowledge of his writings. But it was The Mask of the Red Death that offered me my first glimpse into Poe's unique brand of madness. What do you think about that? I'm not sure it's a brand of madness. Hmm. I think it's just a. I think it's a very well written story. Like, a, like, yeah. I don't know. Mm. I suppose there's a madness to the prince, isn't there? Uh, that's true. That mm. is true. Although it doesn't really feel to me like the knowledge of the, yeah, like the, it doesn't really feel to me sort of like the the author himself is kind of unhinged, mm. as with you know other there's other kinds of other kinds of fiction where you read it and you're like the person who wrote that was mental. Um, I, I I don't think yeah. that's what it is. Hmm. And I suppose the uh, the prince is more sort of on the edge rather than outrightly crazy. He's just a bit sort of odd, isn't he? Mm. Um, Toya uh, again five stars saying I remember being obsessed with this story because of the colours in the rooms and how everyone dies at the end. Whatever. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Too late to say spoiler alert, Toya. Oh, yeah, you just said it. <laughs> yeah. Although, um, you do kind of... It, <laughs> I wonder how, how like disengaged you have to be to pick this up and read less than all of it. Because you, yeah. you could literally read it while you're waiting for the bus. Yeah, but you could be looking at the release. I wonder if this is any good. If, before, I don't, before, before I commit my 20 minutes to reading it. Um, 
Oh, what? They're all die at the end. Oh, forget. Um, t- <laughs> okay. toys, um, You're telling me this is a horror you. story where people die at the end? Fuck it. <laughs> toys full review. Um, I didn't really give it full credit because it's even better than, than, than what I read out. So I'll do it again. I remember being obsessed with this story because of the colours in the rooms and how everyone dies at the end. Whatever. Spoiler alert. You should have read this by now if you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one, Toy. Not at all. Not at all bothered about the spoilers. Just tell you, um, three star from uh, Ryan, who said simply, "This book is dark." Um, good statement. Fair I point. Um, two stars. This, from it's not really a book, though, is it? It's sort of you could print <laughs> it out on two sheets of A4. <laughs> two stars from Maria, who mm. quite impressively manages to be even briefer than Ryan. Um, her, her, her review is simply I got lost so. now in a sense that's that's almost as scary as the story isn't it like does, <laughs> does that not like conjure up to you the image of somebody like you know somehow somehow lost on the internet just sort of like wandering through <laughs> I, I yeah. fell into this story and now I'm lost <laughs> how did you how did you get lost in a story this short <laughs> I don't know why I'm here <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> I got yeah yeah. Or not even sort of you know lost lost on the internet just as a user kind of like I was trying to review uh, Bridget Jones's diary, but I ended up reading this instead. I, I am lost, lost, lost. All is lost. <laughs> I reckon this could have been like the line that the guy dressed of the Red Death could have used to desperately try and save it. When he realizes he's gone too far, <laughs> I I was actually going to the to the the <laughs> bad taste party down the hall, being thrown in the servants' quarters at the same. Yes, I, I got lost. Sorry, sorry, excuse me, sorry. That's <laughs> the idea of sort of he's, he's all dressed up. Wait till they get a load of this. They're gonna love it. They're gonna love it. Steps through the door. Everyone goes. <gasps> and he just goes. I got lost. (laughs) 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 Terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying. You see, the only thing more horrifying than the ineluctable advance of a death you cannot escape, be you rich man or poor man, is social awkwardness and embarrassment. (laughs) Prospero's furious face. (laughs) Shit. Shit. What am I going to say? Um, I got lost <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's Maria thanks Maria um, cheers Maria great review um, and a one, I did find a one star review Anastasia right. Anastasia says the shortest and most bizarre uh, quotes book ever I got to the end I could I could not figure out what was happening throughout the story I'll probably try to reread it sometime later again so that's well, I mean, she hasn't walked away from it in disgust, which we've heard in many one-star reviews, where somebody <laughs> gets lost in the first two pages and just goes, fuck it, it's rubbish. That's, yeah. That is a bit weird, though, isn't it? Like, So is she saying she wished it was longer, this quote-unquote book business? Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. know. Seems to be the right length for what it is. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, she did get to the end of it rather than stopping two pages into the story but then I suppose two pages in you pretty much finished it you pretty much finished it <laughs> yeah oh maybe this is a consequence of the, the Kindle thing where every book seems the same 
So yeah. you never know until you open it up how big it is, whereas you used to buy a physical book. You'd look at it and be like, oh, that's massive. Yeah. Um, whereas this, you know, I downloaded it this morning in order yeah. to record it, and I sort of opened it up, and I was like, I wonder how much time I'm going to have to spend on it this morning. And then and I was like, I flicked the page, and it went from 1% complete to 9% complete, and I was like, <laughs> we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine here. I was really not on my phone as well, by the way. The pages <laughs> had about six words on me. <laughs> Um, the, the final uh, review I've got just to wrap this up is a five starer mm. and um, it's from suitably mystery person name and address withheld and, uh, and it says one of Poe's greatest achievements he manages to mix a mystical enigmatic land with the dark morbid forces of revenge it's a masterpiece that must be read Ugh. very good we didn't look at that actually the uh, idea of revenge in it I think in a one of the retellings of it maybe one of the films mm. the the red death is actually some like somebody from the sort of commons taking revenge on the like on the rich and privileged oh, you can get marks into anything can't you yeah um, so that, that's why it's so so often sort of so influential as well isn't it you can sort of yeah, you, you can twist this story into whatever you you like, really, and you can use its power to put across various different messages. Yeah, 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 very much. And I suppose that makes sense. But I think it, I don't know, turning it into an act of violent revenge, I think sort of cheapens it a little bit because mm. that means that actually the only, you know, the sort of moral, the moral comeback that you have in that situation isn't well, you're the same as me, pal, and you're going to die too. It's I'm going to go in there and kill you, which mm. seems a little bit less, I know, a little bit less existentially challenging. Basically says that if you're rich, you probably are going to get away with it unless somebody comes up and stabs you. Yeah. Um, which is, a little, yeah, bit, and I it's, think, is it, a little bit less hopeful, to be honest. Yeah, and it's whether you put a consciousness on that um, that red death figure as well, whether it's yeah. just, whether it is sort of bringing down you know righteous fury and revenge and you know judgment on these people who've abandoned their fellows and shut themselves away or yeah. whether it's just just the inevitable the inevitable end to yeah. to what's going to happen and yeah, you know there's no th- there's no sort of uh, i don't know uh, real direction to death it just happens you know yeah, regardless yeah, of true. who deserves it and who doesn't yeah, very true. Yeah, and, and I suppose I, you know, I'm I'm kind of reading that as saying, you know, seeing seeing a kind of de facto justice in that that doesn't really need doesn't really need a kind of um, human judge behind it. It's just going to happen. Hmm. Um, whereas, you know, an interpretation that says you know justice only happens if you take it at the point of the knife. Um, yeah, hmm. I don't know. Interesting, isn't it? Different yeah. reasons. And that is a good way of summing summing up the the book, spooky or the story, spooky, unsettling, and more than a little interesting. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you enjoy Halloween too. It's, uh, it's a good time of year for spooky stuff. Um, don't forget to tip the trick or treaters, or else they might paint your house pink or something. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they'll firebomb your house. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week with oh. You know what's coming, Dave? Oh, are we back? <laughs> Buckle up. Get that sword go. out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we will return with um, part one 
We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna split Game of Thrones: The Winds of Winter into two parts. Seeing as George Are Martin we? is taking his sweet time coming up with. Oh, not Winds of Winter, it's Dance of Dragons. I've not even done <laughs> I was Winds of Winter. Say, yeah, fucking hell, have you got an advanced copy? Because if so, we're about to get every listener in the universe. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be into Dance of Dragons. We'll probably do it in two parts. A, because it's massive. And B, because since we started this podcast, which is getting on three years ago, um, we still appear to be no closer to getting the next book out of George Martin. That was true, wasn't it? Like we, we, It was almost like a bet we made back then, which was like... <laughs> Well, all right, what we'll do is we'll start doing Game of Thrones, and by the time you know we get to it, he probably will have finished the next one. Yeah. Probably will have finished the next one. <laughs> ha! I laugh bitterly at my younger self. Yeah. Dear, it's never going to get finished, Matt, I'm telling you. However, let's make the most out of Dance with Dragons. Yeah. I, I, I hear that it's fantastic, and even if it's not, it's better than A Feast for Crows. It's got to be better than that. Okay, <laughs> so um, if you want to... Give us any thoughts on Mask of the Red Death, um, even though it was a bit of a surprise um, sort of inclusion, this one. Or you want to get in early for the feedback for Game of Thrones, which is always a, a popular one. Just uh, send it over to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Until is. then, Dave. Until then, Matt. Have a happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>